This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... And we hope he will be able to convince politicians to speak one language and agree to protect the country. That's Pastor Heral of the Democratic Republic on Pope Francis's potential impact on divisive politicians. Details coming up. Also, activists protest a refueling stop by a Russian ship they say is ignoring a ban on exploring oil and gas in Antarctica. Sudan has released a man convicted of fatally shooting an American diplomat in 2008. And the UN calls for investigations of possible crimes against humanity in Mali. These stories are more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Pope Francis arrived in the Democratic Republic of Congo today on his first visit to the country with Africa's largest Catholic population. Francis will be in the DRC, a country struggling with decades of conflict, until Friday when he goes to the world's youngest country, South Sudan. Analysts tell Mohamed Yassouf in this report from Nairobi about the significance of these visits and hopes for peace in the region. Pope Francis arrived Tuesday in the DRC capital, Kinshasa, to begin a six-day visit to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and South Sudan. The Pope brings a message of peace and reconciliation to the two countries, which have struggled through years of conflict. A pastor invited to meet with the Pope, who asked to be identified only as Herale, told viewer that he hopes the Pope's message will help end the fighting in the country's east. He says the Pope is well known both religiously and politically. Congo has numerous problems, squabbles and conflicts. The Pope only needs to say a few words to put an end to the conflict in the East. The pastor says Francis has the ability to assist the country and bring peace. The Pope will meet with the Congolese President Felicity Sekedi, government officials, diplomats, civil society leaders and victims of conflict from the East. On Wednesday, the 86-year-old will also hold a public prayer in Kinshasa. Pope Francis had planned to visit Goma in North Kivu province, but he cancelled his visit because of the resurgence of conflict between the M23 rebel group and Congolese forces. Researcher and political analyst Ntanyoma Rukumbuzi says the Pope will remind the world of the ongoing conflict in the DRC. Uh, because of um, security problems affecting uh, civilians in this region, I think his message uh, was to possibly support um, and call for attention of, 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 of atrocities taking place in this region. Um, then, um, during his visit, uh, during the holy visit, the situation has drastically changed and deteriorated. Uh, one can expect that his message, as it was before, uh, would possibly change, and uh, he's going to change the tone to emphasize that civilians should be protected. In addition to the chronic unrest in several eastern provinces, the DRC is preparing for an election later this year, and the prospects of political violence remains a concern. 
Rukumbozi says the Pope will speak out about the political situation and upcoming elections. The Pope will talk about um, the, the, the country's leadership and what to expect from its leaders. And as has been mostly the stance of the uh, Roman Catholic in DRC, it plays a huge role within the, 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 the political arena, domestic political arena, uh, but also they, they, they are among um, vocal critique when it comes to the way the Congolese elite uh, manage, manage the country. I'm sure um, the Pope will be probably very clear on this issue. The country's Catholic leadership criticised then-President Joseph Kabila when he postponed elections for more than two years starting in 2016. The election was finally held in December 2018 and won by the current president. Shisekedi in a disputed vote. Shisekedi's term ends this year and polls are expected in December. Pastor Herale says politicians must prioritize the interests of the country. Congo is preparing for elections and politicians are competing for political positions, but security is poor. He says... He is coming to Congo, which is in a lot of trouble, and we hope he will be able to convince politicians to speak one language and agree to protect the country. Pope Francis is scheduled to be in Congo until Friday, when he heads to South Sudan. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Ahead of Pope Francis's arrival in Kinshasa today, my colleague Eddie Isango in VOA's French to Africa service spoke with the Archbishop of Kinshasa, Cardinal Fridolin Ambongo Besung, about the trip. In this excerpt uh, of their conversation, Cardinal Ambongo talks about the Pope's visit during what is an election year in the DRC. Le pape arrive au Congo pendant cette période électorale. Il apporte un message. The cardinal says Pope Francis brings a message of peace and reconciliation. He says he hopes the pontiff's message will help the Congolese organize peaceful, transparent, credible, and inclusive elections. He says that will allow the best to win and serve the people who really need that service. Eddie also asked Cardinal Lambongo about the Pope's recent comment that homosexuality should not be criminalized. Many African countries have criminal laws against homosexuality. The Pope Cardinal says the Pope always makes the distinction between the homosexual as a person, as God's creature, as a human being. In that regard, we must respect them as a creature from God, just like all other humans. He goes to say that whether we are homosexual or heterosexual, we all belong to the human race. Climate activists in South Africa are protesting at a fueling stop by a Russian ship that they say is ignoring a ban on exploring oil and gas in Antarctica. Vicky Stark speaks to an environmental lawyer who says the current treaty prohibiting such activity is not strong enough. In this report, from Cape Town, South Africa. Protest organizers Greenpeace Africa and Extinction Rebellion say the seismic tests the academic Alexander Karpinski has been conducting in Antarctica for the past 25 years are harmful to marine life like dolphins and whales. 
They also say that fossil fuels should stay in the ground if the world is to prevent catastrophic global warming. The ship's operator, Polar Marine Geosurvey Expedition, a subsidiary of Russia's state-owned mineral explorer Rosgeo, insists it is not exploring for oil and gas in Antarctica, but simply conducting research. South African environmental lawyer Cormac Cullinan isn't convinced and says it's vital everyone sees the importance of fighting global warming. It's incredibly important from a climate change perspective because the oceans there absorb a lot of the CO2 from the atmosphere. But it's also part of regulating the, the world's climate and also the currents and the weather systems. But it's also um, very much obviously affected by climate change because the, the ice is melting. Cormac says it's problematic that there isn't a government for Antarctica, but instead an agreement signed in the 1950s called the Antarctic Treaty System, where 29 countries have decision-making powers. Decisions are made by consensus, and over the last few years, when they try and declare more marine protected areas, countries like Russia and China block them, Um, and so it's not really going anywhere. He says terms of the treaty are only binding on the people who've signed up to them, and he says policing compliance is almost impossible because there's no international police force dedicated to this task. If there's a big enough dispute, it could be referred to the International Court of Justice. But, you know, in a situation like this, often countries won't take on another country like Russia because, you know, they think, you know, Russia might retaliate in other ways. Cullinan is working on a declaration for the rights of Antarctica, which environmentalists hope will be launched towards the end of this year or early in 2024. He says, among other things, they hope it will make it possible for lawyers to represent Antarctica in courts of law. Certainly, if you think how important human rights are in the world, even though governments violate human rights all the time, just the fact that we've we've got this agreed standard of behaviour. He says a similar rights of nature declaration is being worked out for the Amazon rainforest, which spreads across several countries. Meanwhile, in Cape Town, Greenpeace Africa volunteer Elaine Mills says her organisation is working on a letter of demand to send to the government. The one is that uh, Alexander Kapinski and other vessels like it are not allowed entry into South Africa. The second is that the Alexander Kapinski and vessels like it have to prove that they are engaged in genuine scientific research before they are allowed entry into our ports. And the third one is that we want the parties to adopt a resolution that no hydrocarbon extraction will ever be allowed within the Antarctic region. Contacted by VOA, the South African Ministry and Department of Forestry, Fisheries and the Environment did not provide comment. South Africa announced Tuesday that it will host representatives of its partners in the BRICS bloc, namely Russia, China, India and Brazil, in Limpopo province on Wednesday and Thursday. Naval exercises with Russia and China are also planned in February, a few days before the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. The Associated Press says Sudan has released a man convicted of fatally shooting an American diplomat in 2008. The release follows a 2020 deal between Sudan and former President Donald Trump's administration that included compensation settlements for killings of Americans. Sudan paid 
$355 million to settle U.S. lawsuits related to the killing of the U.S. official as well as deaths linked to the 1998 bombings on the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania and the 2000 bombing of the USS Cole in the Yemeni port of Aden. Abdel Raouf Abu Ziyad spent 15 years in prison in Khartoum for killing John Granville, an official with the U.S. Agency for International Development, under Islamic law or Sharia. Followed by Sudan's judiciary, a convict can be pardoned if his victim's family is financially compensated. Earlier this month, Abdu Zaid's family apologized for the killing of Granville and a daily newspaper in the country, the Sudani, published an unverified report that the family had also paid blood money for the U.S. official's driver, who also died in the attack. The U.S. State Department says it is aware of the reported release of Abdel Raouf Abu Zaid, designated a terrorist by the U.S., and is seeking more information from Sudan. Botswana's president, Mokwitsi Matsisi, says he is prepared to reconcile with his predecessor, Ian Kama, after a bitter fallout soon after a transfer of power in 2018. Masisi now says he wants peace with Kama, who was forced to flee Botswana, saying he feared for his life and has been living in neighboring South Africa since November 2021. From Habrone, Botswana, reporter Mukundisi Dube has the details. In a conciliatory tone, Masisi was full of praise for former President Kama when he addressed ruling party members over the weekend. <laughs> When President Kama came into power, I supported him. We should thank him for what he did for our party and country. He ruled at a time when there was the worst economic recession, but he did his best. Masisi says he wants to see his feud with Kama resolved. He was my president, and he will always have been my president. I do not think that when siblings fight, that fight will never end. I pray that one day you will ask for forgiveness from each other. Kama welcomed Masisi's remarks, indicating he is open to peace talks. Kama says he will send his brother, Sekedi Kama, a former cabinet minister who is also exiled in South Africa, to talk with Masisi on the way forward. In April last year, Kama, together with three other former high-ranking government officials, was charged with crimes ranging from illegal possession of firearms to money laundering. Earlier this month, a Botswana court issued an arrest warrant for Kama, who has failed to make a single court appearance amid charges that include illegal possession of firearms, and money laundering allegations he dismisses as politically motivated. The court said Kama must be arrested on site. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Khaboroni, Botswana. UN rights experts are calling for an immediate independent probe into potential war crimes committed in Mali 
by the government and Russian-backed mercenaries. The experts include members of a working group appointed by the UN Human Rights Council that does not speak on behalf of the world body. According to the French news agency AFP, since 2021, the experts have received persistent accounts of violations by the armed forces and the Wagner Group. The allegations include executions, mass graves, torture, rape, sexual violence, disappearances, and pillaging. In the village of Mora, in the central Mali, mercenaries allegedly killed about 300 minority Fulani. The UN's peacekeeping force has requested access to the site. The UN experts say they have conveyed their concerns directly to Mali's government. The Central Bank of Nigeria, CBN, has mobilized 30,000 agents nationwide to help the vulnerable and those living in remote areas exchange their cash for the nation's new currency. The bank has also extended the deadline for exchanging old bills by 10 days, saying some 30% of the old bills are still in circulation. But critics say authorities should have stuck to the deadline for the currency swap. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. The deployment of the 30,000 Central Bank of Nigeria agents followed Sunday's announcement of a 10-day extension of the January 31st deadline for citizens to swap their old cash for the new currency. The Central Bank said the gesture was to allow more citizens to exchange their old bills and reduce the risk of losses, especially for those in Nigeria's rural areas with limited access to financial services. The CBN also approved a seven-day window period after the new deadline, during which citizens still holding the old currency must then deposit the bills directly to the central bank. But while many praise the longer change over time, Abuja resident Prince Eromosele says the CBN succumbed to pressures from the political class. I had this feeling it might be extended because of um, the APC and the PP. Uh, presidential aspirants, their reaction. And if I'm being honest, I would say I'm very, very, very disappointed with the CBN governor. 31st is 31st. Nigerians have already started. We have started adapting to it already. We just, we just have to make rules and abide by it. The measure, launched in October, saw the redesigning of Nigeria's 200, 500, and 1,000 Naira notes. The move is meant to combat counterfeiting encourage more online payments and reduce crime, including the practice of vote buying using stashes of accumulated cash. Nigeria holds general elections next month. Ndu Mwokolo is a lead partner at Next Year, a public policy think tank. He says the currency swap is beneficial. I think what CBN did was the, to look at um, some some critical variables around the system in terms of um, the, the, the present circumstances in the country. So you have an election that's about going on. You have the pressures from the politi- politicians and political parties. You have the ongoing um, fair crisis situation. So based on this, the, you know, these things are like, they are all drivers and the economy is interwoven. 
So I think they looked at the, the entire situation. Some 40% of Nigerians do not have access to bank services. Ngokolo says the swap is an opportunity to correct that. It could be another opportunity to start looking at how do you start getting these people to, to, to start going through the legal banking sector system. So you don't want a situation where the politicians can cash on that and um, cause a kind of revolt against the, the government. The central bank has faced backlash from critics opposed to the currency reforms, including some lawmakers. Last week, the Speaker of the House of Representatives threatened to arrest central bank governor Godwin Emefiele over his refusal to appear before the House committee investigating the alleged scarcity of the redesigned Naira notes across the country. Meanwhile, Nigeria's secret police are investigating Emefiele for alleged financial crimes, financing terrorism and graft. This is Nigeria's first currency update in nearly two decades. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And next, Anika Hammerschlag reports on the first-ever Africa Vegan Restaurant Week from Dakar, Senegal. Staff at Senegal's first and only fully vegan restaurant, Casa Taranga, cook up local West African dishes, such as mafe and yasa. But instead of the traditional ingredients of beef and chicken, they use chickpeas, black-eyed peas, cassava, and a colorful array of veggies. The Dakar Eatery is one of 15 in Senegal that participated in the recent Africa Vegan Restaurant Week, the first event of its kind on the continent. To qualify, participating restaurants were required to offer at least one vegan option on their menus. Supporters of vegan eating say it's one of the most impactful actions individuals can take to stop abusive animal agriculture practices and to fight climate change. The phasing out of animal agriculture over the next 15 years would result in a 68% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions through the year 2100, according to a 2022 study. Research also shows vegan diets can lower blood pressure and cholesterol and reduce rates of heart disease. Dakar native Bashir Nyang owns Casa Taranga with his wife. Although the restaurant is extremely popular among expats, he said it's been difficult to convince his family, friends, and other locals of the benefits of veganism. For the beginning, yeah, they can think that you are crazy. They can imagine food without meat, fish, or chicken. But I make mafe in a vegan version, and they really appreciate They are happy. They said it's really tasty. Animal products are ubiquitous in traditional Senegalese cuisine. The national dish, chibujen, a rice and fish platter, is often eaten for lunch and dinner. Many locals see veganism and vegetarianism as a Western import that does not align with their culture. Senegalese business owner Morim Bang runs Surf Black and White, a surf rental shop and roadside cafe in Dakar. Like many Senegalese, he comes from a long line of fishermen and was raised on fish, he says. Mbang says, veganism is not African, and God created animals to be eaten so we can survive. Just like in nature, the big fish eat the small fish. Furthermore, as inflation has pushed many items out of reach for Senegal's low-income population, he says chibujen has become the only dish many can afford. Without chibujen, we'd have a hard time getting by because everything else is too expensive, he says. Even chibujen is becoming more expensive. Overfishing along the West African coast has depleted fish stocks, causing prices to increase. Studies show that those that are left risk being contaminated with high levels of microplastics and heavy metals. 
Anna Touré is the founder of Globicis, a nonprofit that fights climate change, and the Senegal coordinator for Vegan Restaurant Week. A Franco-Malian, she maintains that veganism is not a Western concept reserved for the rich. Rather, there are many vegan protein sources that are local to the region and have been relied on for generations. Eating black-eyed peas is much cheaper than eating meat, chicken or fish, which most of the Senegalese people can't afford any longer. We are lucky enough to have everything in Senegal that can fit a plant-based diet. Nuts, grains, and vegetables are all grown locally, Touré said, as are healthy specialties such as baobab fruit and moringa. Nabasa Innocent is the Africa coordinator for Vegan Restaurant Week and founder of the Uganda Vegan Society. Historically, she says African cuisines were plant-based and meat was reserved for special occasions. But when the word vegan comes in, now they try to westernize it. So that's why we are bringing it back home to Africa. So it's not an import, and my appeal to all Africans is for us to embrace this practice. Across the continent, more than 50 restaurants and at least 20 countries took part in the event. For a list of the vegan-friendly restaurants, visit www.africaveganrestaurantweek.com or check the hashtag Africa Vegan Restaurant Week. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehisu Hib in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Bob Bass, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.